You guys ready to get in the Word of God? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Hey, the Word of God is exciting, okay? Y'all can be like, if you want to, but I just think it's crazy. We need to be excited about the Word of God, and especially as I've been just walking through Revelation and, and learning so much about God's biblical perspective and His overview of how the Old Testament and New Testament, how they flow together, how the covenants just flow together, how... From Genesis to Revelation, there's these beautiful things that are just interwoven through the whole thing, and, and uh, it's so vast, so big, so deep, so wide, we'd never cover it all, uh, but it's just so much fun just to just grab on one thread and just pull a little bit, isn't it? It's, it's so much fun. Just a little explanation. I'm not usually in a t-shirt, but uh, I wore this t-shirt this morning because I couldn't find my summer sizzle t-shirt, and I knew that there was a box of summer sizzle t-shirts here at the church, and so... I said, well, I'll just wear this up there and then change it out. But we couldn't find the box of Summer Sizzle t-shirts. So I am promoting Iron Sharpens Iron. This is the tech team shirt at the well. So go tech team. Huh? <laughs> uh, but we do have Summer Sizzle coming up this Saturday. And we are ex extremely excited. We've had a lot of, uh, a lot of people uh, let us know how excited they are too. I know a lot of you are looking forward to uh, the summer sizzle and all that that means. We get to really love on our community in several different ways. If you're not signed up for that, you need to get signed up for that, even for your benefit, because I'm telling you right now, it is an amazing thing to be able to serve like that and to just watch how many people we can affect with just handshakes and hugs and kind words. I'm telling you, it's a beautiful thing. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. We're going to pick up in chapter 4. We're going to pick up uh, we got through three verses yes, or last Sunday. We were aiming for six, but this uh, Sunday, today, we'll get through the other three verses that we didn't get through last week, okay? Uh, but this is the throne room in heaven. This is a picture of what it will be like when we stand before the Lord, when we, when we are completely united with Him in spirit and, and in our physical form, when, we're completely, when we receive our complete adoptions as sons and we're completely removed or sin is completely removed from our person, from existence and is cast away. This is what it will be like when we stand before the Lord in our completed state. Now, I, a, a few things that we looked at the last time that we met and the few things that we said was this throne room vision is a picture, it's a prophetic vision of what, what reality is actually like, of what Christ is actually like. And this isn't just a future uh, vision. It's not just something that's out there separate from the reality of right here, but it's something that's already been inaugurated as John told us in chapter 1 when he said, I am a partaker of the tribulation and the kingdom. So the kingdom of God with Christ reigning and ruling on his throne has already begun. It's this not it's this already not yet tension that we see and know as believers. It's the same reason that all of you, uh, as well as I, me, we go through these mountaintop valley experiences. Who knows what I'm talking about? Well, the reason you do that is <clears throat> is is the already not yet 
uh, understanding of how God and his kingdom is working. And so God's already started this work of redemption. He's already started this work of, of kingdom rule and reign with Christ on the throne. He's already begun to overwhelm and overcome the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, bringing people from darkness into light, joining them to himself in the kingdom of God as ambassadors of Christ. But we would be foolish to think that that means that we are not subject anymore to temptation, to struggle, to tribulation. As a matter of fact, we understand from John also that the tribulation is already inaugurated, already begun as well. And we're moving to this grand epic event. We're moving to this grand epic point in time where the kingdom will explode in its realistic form and the tribulation will explode in its realistic form and we will see these two diametrically opposed. The crazy thing is as we watch reality unfold and I know that we have all type of last day people who say, oh, this is it. This is it. As a matter of fact, the eclipse. You saw the whole things on the whole thing on uh, Facebook. There was, I think it's Matthew 16, the, the sun is darkened, you know. Hey, be ready. And I kind of jokingly put up, you know, you need to make sure you're saved by 243. You feel me? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because 243 is totality and we don't know what's going to happen, right? But, you know, all jokes aside, the whole point with that little sarcasm there was you just need to live your life ready. You know, so many people have. You might think, well, that's just stupid, Brandon. Why would you even put that? So many people really do live like that. I'm going to push it right up till the end, Pastor. You know, I'm going to put, I'm going to, I'm going to party until I'm done partying and I think I've got time so I'll be good. And right when I'm done, I'm going to, I'm going to ask Jesus to save me. That's just stupid. That's as stupid as me saying, make sure you're saved. And then somebody came on and said, well, totality is 238. And I said, well, 235, we don't want to push it. Right. Yeah, that's just, that's as, that's as silly of a notion because we have no idea of the time. We have no idea of the time. But now we can look at reality and say it seems to be getting chaotic, more and more chaotic. I mean, if you look at all the things we, we talk about, you know, this transgenderism and the, the questions about gender, the questions about marriage, these racism things exploding. Today we'll talk a little bit about racism because it's in the text. But, but this whole idea of, of racism and, and bigotry and hate and all these things, it seems to become... It seems to be becoming more and more prevalent. Now, I will say this, and I saw a guy uh, say this. I heard a guy speaking about this, and I, I have to agree to a large extent. I don't know that it's getting that much worse. I think it's always been jacked up, okay? The world's always been sinful. It's always been messed up. It's always been crazy and chaotic. I do believe it's getting worse, but I think more than it's getting worse, it's becoming all the information about how bad it is is becoming more available, and to put on top of that, people are becoming less embarrassed about it and less ashamed of it. And so I do believe that we're seeing the scriptures fulfilled, that it's becoming worse, that people uh, will call bad things good. So you see, so everybody's always been bad. Every, every thought and intention of the heart is evil all the time, apart from Jesus Christ. Paul, the great apostle Paul said, I find there's no, righteous in, there's no righteousness in me except the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So we see that the, 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 the heart is totally depraved. It's wicked in every thought. There's none righteous, no, not even one, Romans chapter 3. So now what we're seeing is a more obvious 
wickedness because people are putting it on, the, on display. One, information is more readily available. It's right there. You can see it. And two, people don't mind putting up the bad things as if they're good things. As a matter of fact, they'll even fight for them, fight for them. You see these racist, racist uh, marches and, and all of these things. It's just crazy. And both sides, to a large degree, have problems. They have issues, and so we need to deal with those. But we're going to see a little bit of that today and a little bit of that addressed. But what I want to do today is I want to remind you that the throne room is the reality that we are pursuing. It is the reality of how Jesus Christ operates in our lives as believers and out from us as ambassadors. Now, this is a picture of the throne room in heaven with implications of how we are to act as kingdom dwellers here on earth. The, the book of Revelation distinguishes between kingdom dwellers and earthly dwellers. And we make this distinction all the time. Do you live for Jesus Christ? Are you empowered by the Spirit? Do you live in freedom, as the song says? Do you walk in the, in the power of the Spirit, displaying the fruit of the Spirit as transformed believers who live as living sacrifices? Sacrifices to the Lord Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ Lord of your life and everything you do is touched and breathed on by him? Not to say that you're perfect. We all have our failures. But do you identify with your failures or, you do, or do you identify with Jesus Christ who overcome all of your failures? I believe many times, even some of us believers, so identify with the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as, as wicked sinners that we fail to realize that we've been resurrected, raised from the dead, the grave, given a newness in Christ that should be on display. We live in defeat when we've been raised in victory, okay? We need to walk in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, many times we would overcome temptations. Rather, we wouldn't even be affected by temptation if we would live in the Spirit of God. But we go back again and we put our eyes on these old sins and that then drums up all of these temptations and leads us back to there. But if we would just stay over here, we wouldn't even have to worry about that over there. Amen. And so that's what this text, you say, how did you get that out of this text? Well, if you were here last week, you would know how I got it out. Because the throne of God radiates such power and such glory that it effectually touches everything within its, that's within its, its, its scope, its power, in one way or another. It either, it either hits the believer and boom, shines, and it comes out of him or her. It is, it, it is then radiated to the world. They are a mirror that reflects. That, that glory, they are a magnifying glass that magnifies that glory, or they are a wicked sinner that's burned up in that glory. My question is, how do you operate as a believer? Do you reflect the glory of God? Do you stand in the presence of God? You say, well, that's just a picture of something way out there. But if you remember, I took you to Hebrews 4.16 that says we enter the throne room of grace with confidence. And that's a present tense. We, we enter. He said, we, me and you, me and you, who are believers and who have been born again by the power of the Spirit, through the blood of Christ, raised in a newness of life by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we now enter the throne room of grace with confidence now. Now that we enter in, and, and, and what do we know that we received there? What did we learn that the rainbow was that surrounded the throne of God? It's grace. 
It's grace. It's the picture of the Noahic covenant that, that God said, I will never destroy the earth by flood again. It's a picture of grace and mercy that when we enter this throne room, we come into the mercy of God and the grace of God, and he helps us in our time of need, which is what Hebrews 4.16 says, that we come into this throne room of grace with confidence through Christ in order to receive mercy and grace and strength to continue on, to continue on doing what? Reflecting the glory of God. Because when you reflect the glory of God, you either bring people into the glory or you, or you condemn them where they stand. And much of the world is afraid to condemn to people because no one can judge me but God. Wrong. God has commanded you not to judge the world, but to judge those inside the church. To the world, they'll be judged all by themselves just by looking at you. The gospel does two things. It hardens the hard and it softens the elect. Those who are God's children will not miss the sound of the shepherd's voice. As we stand to our feet in the reading of God's word out of respect and reverence for the holy scriptures, I'm going to read through chapter, I mean, uh, yeah, through chapter six. Let's just roll with it. We're going to read through verse 6, and then we're going to kind of uh, open up and unpack it a little bit. Chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, I'm going to draw something that you might not have expected me to draw. I drew this several times uh, a long time ago, and uh, we learned a whole lot about it. I'm going to ask you if you can tell me what you think this is. <laughs> the upper room. <laughs> yes, this is the temple, tabernacle. And the tabernacle was laid out in this way. Now, if you hadn't been here for a while, you wouldn't have got that series. Went through a whole series where we kind of showed the tabernacle and showed how it pictured Jesus Christ and everything that Jesus was and everything that Jesus did as we go through. So here's the Holy of Holies. Uh, this is the uh, altar of incense. This is the table of showbread. This is the menorah or the golden lampstand. This is the bronze laver, and this is the bronze altar. Uh, and this is the east gate. 
then you would go into the, uh, the meeting place or the holy place, and then you would go in through a very, very thick curtain into the holy of holies where the ark, this is the ark of the covenant was, the presence of God, so to speak, okay? Now, the reason I draw this up here is that Revelation is an overlay over what the tabernacle was and what Jesus Christ ultimately would do, showing that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of God's presence with God's people in the Old Testament, just like Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's presence with people in the New Testament, and he is the great bridge that that bridges the gap between Old Testament and New Testament and bridges the gap between all mankind, all, all every tribe, every tongue, every nation that Jesus Christ brings us all into one family, brings us all into one nation, brings us all into one kingdom through being born again into the family of God by the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now you say, where do you get that from? Okay, now let's let's just look. And I've been praying over this and seeking the Lord over this for quite a while now, and he's shown me several different things. And, and one thing I wanted to focus on today was going from here to here to here to here. And watch how the throne room shows how Jesus Christ does that, okay? Now, I, I, he just showed me this not that long ago, so... We'll see how it pans out, and you'll, you'll kind of you'll see what I'm, I hope, you'll kind of see what I'm looking at as I go through this. Now, it's not, it, this is not like it's something new. I don't want you to think, you know, I came up with this, and it's genius. No, this is not like it's something new, but as I was studying the scriptures, and I saw uh, several commentators, they would make correlations between one of these and another thing, and, and so you see the things in the tabernacle which correlate with the things in uh, Revelation chapter 4, really the whole book of Revelation. So the golden lampstand, we know that, that Jesus Christ in the vision in chapter 1 was one who was what? In the midst of the churches, in the midst of the lamps, in the midst of the torches. He was the one in the midst of these, these seven golden lampstands. And so we see Jesus Christ is the one who is in the middle of the churches. He's the one who is in the midst of the churches. He's the one that, that, that brings them together, that sustains them, that holds them. He is the one who is in the center. We know that, that, that John was hearing from Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 1. And we know now that again, one spoke as if speaking from a trumpet. We know that John is hearing Jesus Christ again. He's the one seated on the throne. And so we know that Jesus Christ is in the center of it all. Jesus Christ would be here. Yahweh, God the Father, the Holy Trinity is here. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, this was the Old Testament layout, and this was the Holy Spirit. This was God the Father. This was Jesus Christ. And they were separated from the bulk of the people, the, the, all the people who would have been out here. And the only way that these people could get to the Holy of Holies, to the presence of God, was through several different ways, several different methods, several different steps that they had to go to in order to be washed over or to be blessed or to be in the, in the midst of God's presence and to be connected by him. They had to go through a, a, a high priest who had to make a sacrifice on the altar, who had to wash in the bronze laver, who had to go in and then offer up these uh, incense. There had to be the table of showbread in the presence of, uh, uh, of God here, the menorah here. They had to make sure that the menorah, which had seven, seven uh, lamps on it, seven candles on it, 
They had to make sure that the wicks were trimmed just right and that the lamp was filled up with what? Oil, which is representative of the Holy Spirit. So they had to tend to this and make sure that it was full of oil, that the wicks were trimmed just right so that it would give off just enough light in order to, to shine and to show the, the prayers of the saints, the bread and the, and the cup here, which would have been used to sustain and to, and, and to make sure that these prayers would interrupt just in the right way. And then the Holy uh, the, the high priest would go in to the Holy of Holies only once a year and he would make atonement for the sins of the people. Bringing on them the peace of God or reconciliation. Now we know that the blood of bulls and goats didn't really uh, cover any sins, but it was only a foreshadowing effect. It was, only a, it was only a type of what God was actually going to do in Jesus Christ, who was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now check this out. In Revelation chapter 4, he says this. He says, now I won't go back and read it all again, but he says that I looked in a door open, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice I heard was coming to me like a trumpet said, come up here. So we know that there's a door here mentioned in Revelation chapter 4. It says, and once I was, at once I was in the spirit, and behold, and behold, a throne stood before me in heaven. And so he had to have the, the oil, he had to have the golden lampstand, he had to have the Holy Spirit in order to be able to witness the throne room of God, in order to be able to witness the, the, the majesty and the presence of God. But it, it goes on, it gets even better. It says here, it says, uh, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God." Now, we know in Revelation it says that those who uh, stay true to the Lamb will be given white robes and white garments. We know that they'll be given crowns, which eventually will be cast at the feet of Jesus Christ. But they will be given rule and dominion. We know that Exodus chapter 19 said that they would become a royal priesthood, speaking to Israel, but that, that is applied to the church in Revelation chapter 1, and it says that they will become a royal priesthood, those who stay uh, firm and committed to Jesus Christ that will be given this authority. So now we know that this authority that's here will be transferred to the ambassadors of God in, in much the same way as the high priest would have in this system right here. But Jesus Christ is the supreme high priest in, in Hebrews chapter 10, who then gives dominion to those of them who sit under him, which are called what in the New Testament? Elders, bishops, pastors. These are all synonymous terms. Here's, let, me, let me give one picture to you here for just one second. As we come in, this, this will take, if you understand this, this will take your, your Christianity, Okay? This will take your Christianity and your walk with Jesus Christ. It will take it from a place of continually being needy and receiving to empowerment and proceeding. We live in a culture that is all about what can I get from the people around me and the things that I am a part of. Okay? Our Christianity is no different. 
maybe none of you have ever heard anything like this, or maybe you've never been pushed, or maybe you've just never wanted to hear it. But I'm going to go ahead and say right now, if you come to this building or anywhere else, some of you are just visiting today, I'm going to call it like it is. If you go to a place of worship and all you think is, what am I going to get today? And you can't ever think, what can I give back today? Then you are absolutely an unbiblical Christian at the very least. Now, sometimes we do need to be filled up, amen? Sometimes we need to come and we just need to have our cup filled, but the filling is purposeful in that you are supposed to go and pour back out. You are called an ambassador of Christ. You have been given dominion in a large part over the things of this world that you might go into the world and redeem the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ with his authority commissioned by him as king of kings and lord of lords. You've been given a throne, so to speak. And you have been called to go and to do really what the high priest did here. But we're not supposed to be called priests. I don't want you to get that wrong, okay? I don't want you to think that what I'm saying is we still need priests. No. We have one high priest who entered in one time making sacrifice for all. And the redemption is now available through Jesus Christ. But we are given through Christ much of that same authority that we would call those uh, uh, people who are dead in their transgressions and sins into the life that is offered through Jesus Christ and that we would mediate through the mediator that message of the gospel that is the power of salvation. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, this phone is going crazy. Somebody get this away from me. Satan trying to distract me. Okay, so now check this out. In the throne room, now I'm going to flip this over, but I'm going to come back to it in just a second. Oh, you joker. Never mind. I'll just draw it right over it then. Okay. So I'm going to start here. Let's do it like this. Where'd that eraser go? I done got excited and knocked it off. I'm just going to erase that much of it. Okay, now, I'll do some erasing as I go. Okay, now, we know that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who was slain before the world, right? We went through a lot of this, but just real quick. He's the, he's the sacrifice. Everybody got that, amen? But he also, he also is that Word of God. In, in the beginning was, was uh, the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is applied as the washing of the water with the Word. The Word of God, God, Jesus Christ himself, is the water of, of, of life. He is the bread and the water. He is in the Word. He is sanctifying us, purifying us. So he is how we are, get our sins washed away too. So he is justification, and he's also sanctification. All of it is Christ. Christ is all. Jesus Christ is sanctification and justification. Our sins are paid for through his death, burial, and resurrection, and they are washed away by the application of the death, burial, and resurrection. It's all Jesus Christ. 
He is the door. Jesus Christ says in Romans, I mean, uh, John chapter 14, that he is the door. He is the only way in to the presence of God. He is the meeting place of God where we meet with God. He is the bread of life. He is the fountain of living water gushing forth. He is these things. The, the prayers that are offered up are modeled after Jesus Christ's prayer. He says, when you pray, pray this way, the high priestly prayer. His prayers are the prayers that are answered that we might have the opportunity to be heard by God. He is all. Christ is all. The menorah, this is Jesus Christ dwelling with his people through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God, is the one who illuminates any of this to be seen. We can't understand any of this without the power of the Holy Spirit giving us eyes to see and ears to hear. Where have you heard that before? So Jesus Christ does away with all of these things in large part, but he says in Revelation 4, in my opinion, he says they're not gone, they're just fulfilled in me. So watch this. So we have the throne room of grace. And from the, um, yeah, the throne room of grace. And here's the throne. And on the throne is seated Jesus Christ. And from Jesus Christ radiates rumblings and peals of thunder, lightning, this glory that does several different things. This glory that when it goes out, it either brings people in or it condemns them and burns them up where they stand. So this lightning here is really picturesque of judgment, but also the power of salvation. This is just the glory of God radiating from the throne, which is now made available through Jesus Christ in his blood, his redemption, his sacrifice on the cross. So we no longer have it pictured that way, but we have the throne room here radiating out. Now, what's around the throne? We have jasper and carnelian, a rainbow. I wish I had different colors. I'd show you different colors. So here's the throne radiating out the power of God, the power of God, the word of God that will judge and it will redeem. But through this, through this, this, this power is radiating through this, this rainbow that's said to be around the throne. And this is signifying the grace of God, the mercy of God. And we need to be in this mercy. We need to be in this mercy in order to stand before the grace of, I mean, the glory of Jesus Christ and not die. He says, had the appearance of an emerald. The, the rainbow had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. Now, the, the rainbow was around the throne and the 24 elders are around the throne. They're in the same placement in Revelation chapter 4. So inside the rainbow, inside the grace, I won't draw 24. But you get the idea. I might have should have drawn it bigger. Can everybody see that okay? Our 24 thrones. Now, many people think that, the, the, that Christianity is just something that is done for me so that I can live a better life. 
But we come into the presence of God Almighty through the grace that is offered through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made in order that we might be empowered to have dominion over what God has called us to have dominion over. And that dominion is operated in, and we stay in the presence of the glory of God only by grace. So we come to Christ in grace, and we stay in Christ in grace. And we operate in authority by that grace and by that mercy. So you see, the glory radiates out through the jasper and carnelian. You still following with me? You still trekking with me? I know this is getting a little deep. But the glory of God radiates from the throne room. And I told you last week, from the throne, I told you last week that the, the jasper and carnelian and the emerald, all in the Old Testament was pictured as that which would magnify and intensify the glory of God. Okay? So now get this. You as believers are said to have been given crowns, given white robes, just like the elders, and that you are in the same place as the jasper, carnelian, and the emerald in the rainbow. So you are, in, you are by grace, in faith, given power, and seated in the same place as this jasper and carnelian. What do you think that might mean for us? Is that we too, like the jasper, like the carnelian, are meant to magnify the grace and mercy and glory of God for the world around us. Now, you say, this is just craziness. I don't even understand how this applies to me. Please, do you walk through life just with no purpose? Beat down, defeated, with, with, with no real not being used. When you are shown to be in Revelation 4, you say, well, hold on. You, how is this referring to me? We need to kind of define who the 24 are, don't we? Let's look at that. So maybe you don't believe that this is you. Maybe you're somewhere else in this grand scheme of things. You know, there are thousands and thousands of other angels out here. But angels, they long to look at what we've seen. Don't you know that you will judge the angels one day? We think so highly of ourselves while simultaneously thinking so lowly of ourselves. You have no idea. I have no idea. We say we're believers, but we're still trying to get all of our our identity and our, our, our source from this world when there is a great, glorious power source sitting right here that Jesus is like, I, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. So let's go back. Let's look for just a second. Man, I'm drawing all over my Bible with this marker. Okay, let's go back for just a second. It says here, now we've, we've seen that the, the 24 elders who are they've they've been given thrones now they will take their crowns and cast them at the feet of jesus and they will prostrate themselves they will worship but they've been given thrones which this dominion of these thrones is subject to the dominion of this throne and the glory radiates out hits these thrones hits this jasper this carnelian and it goes out from there 
So who are these 24 elders? Who, who are these people? There are several different ideas. Several different commentators say different things of who they are. Some say these are 24 Old Testament patriarchs or 24 Old Testament um, uh, forefathers or however you want to say that, that these are 24 Old Testament and the, the church isn't part of this yet. I don't, I don't take that view. I don't think that that's the correct view. I, I, I want to take the view of the 24. I want to take it from Revelation. I want, to, I want to get my understanding from the author that's writing this. Does that make sense? Wouldn't that be a good idea? I think that that would be a good idea. Now, I think when he says here, these 24 elders, these 24 thrones seated on them were 24 elders, I think he is painting for us a picture of just exactly who is going to be part of the, part of the, the throne room, part of the core, part of, part of the reality that is Jesus Christ, that is heaven, that is that is. Uh, the new heavens and the new earth, this 24 is a representative number. We know that about 98% probably, if not all, of Revelation is, is very uh, informative. It, 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 it's figurative. It, it, not to say that none of it's literal, but even the literal has figurative things that it's drawing into it. So let's look at Revelation and let's see if we can derive from Revelation who these 24 elders are. Now, I'll go ahead and give you my, my understanding of, of who the 24 elders are. I believe that the 24 elders are representative of the 12 uh, tribes of Israel, the 12 patriarchs in the Old Testament, and the 12 apostles added together to bring this one body of believers into the Lord Jesus Christ that has been redeemed by his blood. There is no other name given under heaven by which one can be saved but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the Old Testament and the, all, the, all those covenants being brought into the New Testament and the two being joined together into one and formulating one, uh, one kingdom, one uh, nation, one tribe that is led and, and ruled and reigned by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Okay, say, so, well, that just seems like a very nice opinion. Where do you get that? Let's look over real quick to Revelation chapter 7. Now, Revelation chapter 7 will not seal the deal for you. I understand that. But real quickly, I'm going to roll through Revelation chapter 7, and I'm gonna, then I'm going to go somewhere else that's a little bit more explicit. Now, Revelation chapter 7, when we get there, that might be a more interesting chapter. It might be a more famous chapter, the 144,000. Okay? Now, the 144,000 is named from... 12 different tribes. We don't have time to go into all this. When we get there, we'll break all of this down and see why I've come to the conclusions that I've come. But it's, it, but it's broken down between these 12 different tribes from Israel, and it says in Revelation chapter 7, verse 4, and I heard the number of the sealed, that would be very important when we get to chapter 7, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And it goes through 12 different tribes. The weird thing is, is that it's not the original tribes. There's a couple of tribes that are missing and a couple of tribes added in. I have an, I have an opinion why that's like that. But if you look at this, it's 12 times 12 equals 144. And there was 12,000 from every tribe. So it's 12,000 times 12,000 is 144,000. And, and in my opinion, when, when we look at this, we're seeing this perfect number of God's elect from the beginning of time. It's not that 144,000 alone will be sealed. We already know from the scriptures that all who receive Jesus Christ receive the seal of Jesus Christ. So when it says the, all, all the sealed, this is a figurative number showing us something, and we are to derive an understanding from 
144,000. So I'm just wanting from this to show you, I'm not building a big theology here. I just want to show you that 144,000 is 12,000 times 12,000. Okay? See that? Now, flip over to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing, glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might to be, be to our God forever and ever. The one, then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Now, when we get to this point, we'll go back and we'll build out on this, just who these people are. And are, these are those who are coming out of the tribulation, who have given their lives for Jesus Christ and stood firm uh, with him through the end and therefore received the seal. And so I believe that Revelation chapter 7, the first part of it, is showing this perfect number that it is set from day one, just exactly who is going to be sealed. There's not going to be 144,000, but that God knows exactly how many will come to him. He is predestined it before the foundation of the world. If you don't like that, I'm very sorry. Go read Ephesians chapter 1. Don't know what else to do with it. In love, he predestined them before the foundation of the world. There it is in black and white. But then Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 elaborates on these people and says that that number will be decided by Jesus Christ himself and will be decided by all of those who come to him through his death, burial, and resurrection. And it will be a number that is, that is uncountable, is unsearchable, and it will be from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. So we see him unfolding this now of how these, these specific number of believers that is known only by God, not by any man, not by any teacher of God's word, but only by God, but that that number is as, is, is as vast as the stars in the sky fulfilling all that God promised in the Old Testament. Also, that this number will be not just from the tribe of Israel, not just from the tribes of Israel, but it will be from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. Now, let's add a little bit more to that. Revelation chapter 21. Now, I think this, this to me, those were fairly convincing, but this to me sealed the deal here. And we need to move on to the sea, the, the sea of glass. Listen to this in Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. Are y'all with me so far? I know we're going... Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Now I want you to follow my reasoning here. I'm just trying to understand the scriptures. I'm trying to let John tell me who he's speaking of, okay? Now, if you don't get anything else, please get, if you're visiting here, please get from today, you cannot be a lazy Christian. You gotta study. You gotta study to show yourself a workman approved. Now you might not even agree with me. I know Keith doesn't agree with me. I know he doesn't. But I know one thing Keith can do is he can look and he sees that I've studied and I've got a reason why I believe what I believe, and he can come and challenge that. And I want him to. I want you to. Because I'm not the end all. But I'll tell you, this is this is my understanding of the scripture. But how can you know? 
How can you know which way to go in your life unless you study the scriptures? Paul looked, looked at the people and he said the Bereans were more noble than the rest. Why? Because they tested everything he said by the scriptures. Don't be a lazy Christian. I don't even know if there's a such thing. Get into the word of God. Become a powerful man of God, a powerful woman of God that carries this sword and does battle in the darkness. Okay, that's my pedestal for a second. Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Now he said, I'm going to show you the bride. I'm going to show you the wife of the lamb. In, in terminology, through the scriptures, he speaks of Israel being the bride. He speaks of the church being the bride. He speaks of basically his people being the bride. Now, I've heard all kind of different opinions on who the bride is. I've heard that Christ has multiple brides. He's actually got one that's, that's true blood bride and, and one that's a, 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 a kind of a Gentile bride. And then there's the church and then there's Israel. And I don't, I don't understand all that. I don't get that. I've tried, to, I've tried to look at all that. I see one bride. One bride. Christ is faithful to the one bride. He has one bride. He has one wife, okay? And that one wife are those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. He has washed her in the water of the Word, just like He commands for us to do in Ephesians chapter 5. There's one bride. There's not multiple brides. Amen? Amen. There's only one bride of Christ. There's only one people of God. There's only one kingdom of God, okay? I can't understand it any other way through the scriptures. It all points me back to one people who he knew was going to be carved out before the foundation of the world. He went after them. He found them. He saved them, and it would be no other way. Amen? Amen? That should give you great hope because if you're a child of God, you can't miss it, okay? Here it goes. And come, I will show you the bride. Now, he's going to show us the bride. He's going to show us those, of, those who have been faithful to him. Listen to, who, listen to how he describes them. And he carried me away in the spirit uh, to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the 12... Uh, and at the 12 gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. There's 12 tribes describing the new bride, describing the new Israel coming down out of heaven, the wife. So there's the 12 names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel inscribed on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The bride of Christ is described clearly as the new Jerusalem, which is made up of the 12 tribes, the sons of Israel, and the 12 apostles of the Lamb. I don't see how we could miss the fact that God's people is made up of a, of a mixture of every tribe, every tongue, every nation that goes across every covenant that's ever been pronounced by God himself. And that there will be one people of God that is not identified by a tribe or this apostle or that apostle, but by Jesus Christ, the only name they will be known by. Now, I told you that we would address racism for just a second. There's where you address racism. Everybody wants to say, 
how do we deal with racism? We need to do this. We need to do that. We need to do this. You know what addresses racism? The gospel of Jesus Christ. I've preached many sermons in this church that deals with racism, that deals with homosexuality, transgenderism, all these cultural issues, and I'm telling you that, that they're all found, founded on the same thing, and it's pride and arrogance and thinking that we should be God, that God didn't know what he was doing, that God assigned people to different places in life, and some were more important than others, and some were greater than others, but let me tell you right now that all men are wicked from the day that they are born until the day that they die, lest they are saved and regenerated and transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the only way that we can truly overcome racism is to understand that we're all going to one race. I, and I'm looking at, at, at David, I, David is in a, can I say, can I use you as a, David is in an interracial relationship. I was in a conversation the other day, and I, and I had somebody say, well, racism still exists in the church. I would say, amen, Brother Hop. Racism still exists in the church. It still exists in the world. It still exists out there. I am never, I would never condemn and say that racism, that's just silliness. It doesn't exist. Look around. Look around. There's like one race in here because his wife's in the back. What's wrong with this picture? I don't even know what to do about it. Is it y'all? Is it me? I don't even know what to do. I've, I've, I've thought, I've prayed, I've tried. Did you know that 11 a.m., 10 a.m., 11 a.m. on Sunday morning is the, is the most racial hour in American, uh, in American society? It's the most segregated hour in American society. That's not a picture of the gospel at all. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, in my kingdom, in my throne room, there will be multiple, multiple races, multiple nationalities, multiple tribes, and they will all be in the same place, in the same grace, with the same authority, radiating the same glory. Amen. I'm going to say something that might just make some of y'all not come back next week. I'm going to go ahead and say it. A baby, I've heard this, a baby that comes from an interracial relationship should not be had. I have heard that. A baby that comes from an interracial relationship should never be born. Let me show you how and some of you are like, man, because you got hate in your heart and you think you're God. Let me tell you something. What if I told you that an interracial child from, an inter, from a godly marriage by an interracial couple is a better picture of the gospel than one that only has one race, one bloodline, which doesn't even exist anyway? Why would I say that? The kingdom of God and the glory of Jesus Christ is explicitly said to radiate through those races that have been brought together by the blood of the Lamb. The only, this is the last thing I'm going to say and I've got to move on. I've got to get to the sea of glass. 
The only interrupt now I could be wrong. I don't know the Bible every letter. I don't have a photographic memory. I've had people try to make arguments to me before about interracial dating and relationships being banned by Scripture. I, I challenge you to show me. I can show you the only one that I even know that's explicit, explicitly spoken of. And that's when Moses married the Ethiopian woman. And he was condemned. They were condemned by Miriam. And uh, I think Aaron had a little part of that. What happened? It didn't go too good for them. And I'm not talking about Moses and his Ethiopian wife. As a matter of fact, God got so mad, he struck Miriam down with leprosy. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, Zach. Pow! <laughs> and Moses graciously prayed. Moses, the one, here, let me address the other side now. Mo yeah, racism still exists. But what was Moses' reaction to those who were being racist against him? Oh, now make the other side mad. What was Moses' reaction to those who persecuted him because of their racism and their racist hearts? What was his reaction? He prayed for them. And he sought the healing of those who hated him because of their racist hearts. You see, the gospel is the cure for both. The gospel is the cure for both. Christ is all. Christ is all. He is the healing for racism, for, 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 for all of the hate and all of the bigotry, all of this. You know, the whole liberal left, and they're saying, unity, unity, unity. We, we got to do away with Christ and do away with God for unity. Baloney. I about cussed, I think. <laughs> Whew, I, had to, I reeled that one in, baby doll. We going live. <laughs> Woo! That was close, Josh, I'm telling you. But it's so stupid. Like the one thing, the one thing that will actually bring unity, true unity, across the board is being condemned and dismissed and thrown away. And the irony is that you're watching it unfold before your very eyes. The farther we move away from God, the worse the hate and the racism gets. Don't you see it? Don't you see it? And the plea from Revelation 4 is that you are the ones. I am the one. We are the ones sitting in the places of authority to reclaim the world and to bring it to the kingdom of God. Amen? We're the ones. We cannot sit we cannot sit on our hands and say, oh, no, I'm saved. We can't just wait around. We can't just, just, just hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. We got to let it shine. Come on. We can't sit on it. Now, man, that was exhausting. Okay. You might not see yet how this is the tabernacle, but I'm getting there. We've got the throne room. We've got the glory of God radiating out. It's hitting the jasper and carnelian, and it's, it's explosive.
exploding to everything outside of here, right? And we've got those that are said to be in the same place, as best as we can tell, because the rainbow's around the throne and the elders are around the throne. So it seems to me that the elders are in the rainbow, which is in grace. So the elders are maintained, seated in grace. It's the only way they can, they can maintain this level of authority. I promise you that's the only way that you'll be able to maintain that level of authority as well. So we, are, we have the elders here that are in the grace of God. Well, well, after this, it says, around the throne were 24 thrones. Seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments and with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning. We've already talked about that. And rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Okay, so they're, they're, they seem to be in a different place. So we have the seven, now I'm going to draw it, mm, I'm going to draw it like this. I'm going to wore that one out. I'm going to draw it like this just because I want to. Man, I'm exhausted. Watching that silly fight last night was exhausting. Fight. No fight. Watching that, I'd think neither one of them could punch their way out of a wet paper bag. Silly. Silly. Money. I ain't going to get into that. I got to focus on Christ. (laughs) So around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire. Now, I drew it this way because that's the only way I see it in the the scriptures laid out. These are the seven torches of fire, which are, it's the golden lampstand, right? And this this is more concretely defined in this section. It says, which are, it says, from the seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, we understand that there are seven churches, right? The flames of those seven churches, I'm not, I'm not relating this right here to the seven churches. I'm just telling you that the flame is, the, is representative of the Spirit of God. Now, we know that there's not seven spirits of God per se, but what did we say? We already saw this in Revelation chapter 1. What did we say? That seven is a number of completion or perfection or, or, or complete fulfillment. And so we know that this is demonstrating the sevenfold spirit of God or the complete and perfect spirit of God that is perfect in every way. I think it's Isaiah chapter 6 kind of goes through, 6.12 I think it is, that kind of goes through this sevenfold spirit and shows how different aspects of the Holy Spirit draw us into completeness or does the work of God in completeness. So we see that the seven uh, spirits of God, the, the sevenfold spirit of God is before the throne. And I see that before as it being before you can get there. It is, uh, in my way of saying, it's before the throne that it, would, that it would be that which you would have to pass through in order to get to the presence and the glory of God, which we see because John had to be in the spirit to be in the throne room to see what was being written. Okay, fair enough. That's easy enough. Well, check this out. I didn't see this until later on last week, and I've been kind of meditating on it this week. This was beautiful. It says, uh, from the throne room came flashes flash of light and rumbles and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. That's pretty easily defined for us. And before the throne, 
there at, uh, was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. A sea of glass like crystal. Now, the rainbow is said to be around the throne. The elders are around the throne. The seven spirits of God, the seven torches, are before the throne. And the crystal sea is before the throne too. So we know that wherever before the throne is, that the crystal sea is in the same place. And so I would just mark it out something like, maybe like this. Now, if it's before the throne... We must pass through the sea of glass, I would say, by the Holy Spirit in order to receive grace and then be empowered by God. Okay? Now, now watch this. I, I know, oh, this was so good. Go turn with me to, let's see where we're going to go first. Uh, turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. So good, so good. Revelation chapter 5. I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 15. It's got a one in front of it. Revelation 15. We're going to move around a little bit, but I want, you to, I want you to see what I'm seeing. It's so beautiful. Okay. Revelation chapter 15. We're going to go. Here, here is some, some fairly immediate context in the same book, same author. He's talking about the same thing. He says, then I saw another sign in heaven, chapter, one, uh, chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. Ooh, that's going to be so good. A sea of glass mingled with fire. So now we get this sea of glass. And I don't know, I didn't have any idea what the sea of glass was. All I know is I saw, I, I, I sang that song before, you know, but I didn't know what in the world does that mean, you know? So it was cool to see. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. Now, we know that fire oftentimes is the judgment of God or the, purific, the purifying furnace. This, it's this furnace that burns away the dross from the believer. And we've seen that theme throughout Revelation. So many times the persecutions, trials, tribulations, the fire that comes down onto uh, the world serves two purposes. One, to punish, condemn, and judge the unbeliever, and two, to purify the believer. It's not as if you escape it by a rapture, you know, that you don't, you're not touched by it. No, like Daniel and his, and his guys, they go through the furnace, but it does something different in you. It proves you, and it doesn't kill you. So uh, we see that it's mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast in its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. So here we see those who have conquered are, are outside the sea of glass and they have harps in their hands. I guess it'd be more like this. They have harps and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, God the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear our Lord and glorify your name. We can go on. But here we see that the, the, the sea of glass is this, it's mingled with fire, so it's a type of judgment uh, for those who uh, would be uh, opposed to Christ, and it's something different for those 
those who are not opposed to Christ. We're going to see that in just a second. But for those who are not opposed to Christ and have been born again by the power of Christ, they are beside the, the still, I mean, the glass sea with harps picking, you know, picking, you know, I don't know if you pick a harp or strum a harp. They're, they're playing their harps, and, and I think that's significant too. So we see this twofold thing. Now, the Song of Moses is actually drawing from Exodus chapter 15. Now go over to Exodus chapter 15 with me. This is so cool how, how God just ties it all together. Check this out. Exodus chapter 15 says this. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my, and my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his, law and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. What is it relating it to now? The Red Sea. So now we have a connection with the sea of glass around the throne and the Red Sea in, in Exodus chapter 14 and chapter 15. And, and, and we'll see something else at the end of chapter 15. It says that the floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out you send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble and the blast of your nostrils. And at the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap and the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. Do you know what the word congealed means? Some of you who cook, what does it mean? Got solid. It got glassy. It got hard. It got still. You see it? So this same body of water, which was the salvation of Israel, was the condemnation for Pharaoh and his chariots. When the water was tumultuous, when, is that the right word? How do I say that? When the water was choppy. <laughs> when the water was hard, when the water was rough, when the seas were out of control, when they were just when they were just torturous and filled with fire, so to speak, it consumed God's enemies. But at the right time, at the right time, and there they stood, walls of glass, pronouncing salvation. And they walked through the waters. They walked through the waters. Oh, it gets so much better. How, how, how do the waters get congealed? How do the waters get congealed? It, it did. It, it blew out with his, his nostrils. The waters piled up. But, but check this out. I'm just going to keep reading. Is that okay? I'm not going to go to Psalms. You remember, he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Right, Gary? Listen. The enemy said, I will pursue you. I will overtake you. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. That's what the enemy says. 
You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. The wind blows where it desires. The Spirit has his way. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your hand, and the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they've trembled. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of, the, of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with the chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aram, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Here's where it gets good. If that wasn't good enough. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah. They could not pass through the water. They could not drink the water of Marah. They could not drink it because it was bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. And he threw the tree into the water, and the water became sweet. <laughs> there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. I am the Lord, your healer. The people came to the water, but it was bitter. They, they would come, and they would try to drink it, but it was just, it, they turned back. It was just bitter. So Moses went and found this tree that the Lord had showed him. And he, and he cut it down, a log, a tree somehow, and he threw it into the water. And it made the water sweet. Jesus Christ is the one who was hanged on a tree. He is the one that was chopped down and thrown into the abyss how many days three days that he might make the water still 
by the application of the sacrifice, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might enter into the throne room of grace. The brazen altar was fulfilled that the bronze laver might be useful in cleansing that we might enter into the presence of God by the power of the Holy Spirit that we might break through into the holy of holies and stand before our God Almighty with confidence <laughs> Jesus Christ Jesus Christ is your only hope. He is your only hope. And he's not calling you to some lackadaisical, cultural Christianity, nominal Christianity, mere Christianity, any of these things you want to say. That's not what he's calling you to. If you're happy with that, I'm sorry for you. We are called to be ambassadors. We are called to drink deeply. You see, the same waters that are used to destroy the wicked and to separate those who are not from those who are are the same waters that we are led beside by Jesus Christ. He makes you lie down beside us. He, he leadeth you to these still waters. He makes you lie down so that he can restore your soul. You see, Jesus Christ is the one that takes the waters and makes them and keeps them from killing you. And not only that, but he uses them to sustain you. You are called to be totally set apart from the world. You are called to not just die in the presence of Christ, but to take him in and then rain him out. What are you doing, child of God? I call out to you. I plead to you that you have got to be reflecting the glory of God. And you've got to, through the passion and power and gospel of Jesus Christ, steal the waters for everybody around you. See, they're in the choppy seas right now. Jesus, they need the word of God. You know what the word of God does? When the word of God, when the word of Christ goes forth, he says, be still. And the storm says, okay. Some of us still on the rocky boat and we don't understand that he's already said be still. You're the one rocking the boat. As we all stand to our feet, I, I'm just calling you to action, child of God. Man, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. We've got to preach Jesus. We've got to proclaim the gospel. We've got to live freedom. We've got to live free lives. And I want to tell you something right now. You want to know why those people in Revelation in chapter 15, you want to know why they were beside the still waters playing their harps? Because they had peace. And because they were the ones displaying what the Spirit of God would do to all of those who would draw near. Do you remember a little story in 1 Samuel chapter 16 when a, little, when a little guy named David was trying to find entry into the place that God had called him to as king? Do you remember his first entrance into the presence of the king who he would eventually replace? Does anybody remember what the first entry was? What was his door the first time? Huh? To play the harp. Saul had a spirit on him that wouldn't let him rest. Saul had a spirit on him that kept him tormented so that he couldn't sleep. Saul had to, and he said, I need somebody, anybody, get me a little kid that plays a harp. 
And David would come into the presence of the king who was all distraught and tore all to pieces. And he would play that harp. And Saul would just calm right down. Because the Spirit of the Lord would come through this play. The waters would calm down. And the king could get a little bit of rest. You tore up inside. You're in distress. You're in torment. One, maybe you don't know the king who steals the waters from the tree that he was hanged on. Or maybe you're just not living as if Christ is actually reigning as king and the water is still still. I'm not sure where you are in your walk. But all I know is, if you're a child of God, if you are a, one of the redeemed, if you are the elect of God, and if you are the called of God, you say, how do I know if I'm elect if God's called you? How do I know if I'm called if you're answering? If you're that person, if God's calling you, if you can't, if you come to the, come to the Lord, here's where He's called you. He's called you to cast all your cares on Him. He's called you to throw down all of your, 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 your rights before Him and say, Lord, here I am, use me. I'm nobody, I'm nothing, I am but a worm. Well, whatever I've got is yours. And He will, do, he will use you display his glory and you will be a part of the building of the kingdom of God I can't tell it any plainer Revelation chapter 4 isn't it beautiful isn't it beautiful amen well I want to give you a chance to respond God is calling you to greater things and I'm not talking about bigger bank accounts and all that silliness he might use that but God's calling you to greater things meaning that he's got a, a word for you He's got a song that he's placed on your heart. He has got a way that he's wanting to use you to proclaim his glory, to proclaim his gospel, to, to radiate and magnify his awesomeness and his majesty to everyone that's around you. And I call you to that today. I call you to that today. Stop living defeated and start living victorious. Start showing what the true reality that's been given to you is all about. Let's get busy, church. Let's get busy.